Kia ora. My name is Will Appleby and I'm pleased to bring you a bonus episode of Animal Matters Today. Last night in Wellington, SAFE hosted the Political Panel for Animals 2020. The panellists included Green MP Gareth Hughes, New Zealand First MP Mark Patterson, National MP David Bennett and Agriculture Minister Damien O'Connor from the Labour Party. The panel was hosted by journalist Charlotte graham McClay. This was a great opportunity to question our politicians on some of the most important issues facing animals today. Gareth Hughes gave us a sneak peek at his party's upcoming animal welfare announcement, saying that the Greens in government would phase out factory farming. While not every politician agreed with such a measure, they all knew that the writing is on the wall for colony cages. This was a robust conversation, which, while I don't agree with the politics of some of the panellists, was enlightening, and I'm pleased we had these four MPs on the panel. So without further ado, this is the Political Panel for Animals 2020. Enjoy. Kiwis care about our country, about one another, about animals. We asked people what they thought were the most pressing issues for animals this election. Here's what they had to say. So I want to know if there's any appetite in any of the main political parties to set up an independent Crown entity to oversee animal welfare issues. I want to see an end to intensified farming for the benefit of the environment and the welfare of animals. I don't want pigs in cages because it's mean. I also don't agree with the, the farrowing crates for the pigs. Again, they're intelligent animals. We shouldn't be abusing them like this. Dairy farming is a big one for me because it brings together both animal rights issues and climate change. I would urge the government to support alternatives in terms of looking at more plant-based food. It's time for the government to ban colony cages. Together we can create an ethical Aotearoa New Zealand that respects the lives of animals. Political Panel for Animals 2020. It's time to get animals on the agenda. Awesome. Well, hi there, my kia ora koutou katoa. It's fantastic to be able to welcome you here tonight and so many of you online all around Aotearoa. We have all learned in this pandemic ways that we can connect more of us together than ever before. So I'm so pleased you could all join us and we'll look forward to your questions later. I'm also pleased to welcome members of the deaf community watching on Zoom and our New Zealand Sign Language interpreters, Tanya and Fran. It's really exciting at the end of a few weeks and months of seeming distractions, pandemic, politics, from the upcoming New Zealand election to actually spend an hour talking about policy. Following and during a pandemic that is challenging our ways of life and our economy like never before in our lifetimes seems a challenging time to have a discussion about animal welfare, but also perhaps, perhaps the perfect and a crucial time. Before I get to the introductions, I just want to let you know how you can participate this evening, including those in the room. You can join the discussion with each other on hashtag vote for animals on social media. And also I'm told the hashtag NZ poll. Um, it might be nice to give them something different to talk about tonight. Um, and you can also visit safe.org.nz to submit questions for the panel. Um, someone is rounding those up and we will take a handful of those at the end, however many we have time for. I already have six pages <laughs> from so far today down next to me of your questions. Um, 
To introduce who's on stage, uh, ko Charlotte Graham McClay Toku Ingoa. I'm Charlotte. I'm a New Zealand reporter for The Guardian, based here in Te Whanganui Atara, Wellington. And a welcome first from the Labour Party, the Honourable Damien O'Connor, the Minister for Agriculture and the Minister for Biosecurity, Food Safety and Rural Communities. He's also the Minister of State for Trade and Export Growth. <laughs> Quite a busy portfolio. Damien's background is in farming and adventure tourism, and he was first elected to Parliament in 1993, so he's been a minister in two Labour governments. We might hold the applause and applaud them all at once at the end for being here. Um, from National, the Honourable David Bennett, who was recently appointed the National Spokesperson for Agriculture, but he also comes from a farming background. He served under the Bill English-led government as Minister of Veterans Affairs, Minister of Racing and Minister of Food Safety, and is a graduate of Law and Commerce at Victoria University. He has represented Hamilton East since 2005. From the Green Party, for a little bit longer, um, departing, at, <laughs> departing at this election, um, Gareth Hughes, MP. He was the youngest MP in Parliament when he entered in 2010. He's the Green spokesperson for animal welfare and is currently the longest-serving Green MP. He worked for Greenpeace for nearly a decade and has done a stint on the Rainbow Warrior and studied also at Victoria religious studies, history and politics. And from New Zealand First, Mark Patterson MP, who is the party's spokesperson for agriculture. He also sits on the Primary Production Select Committee in Parliament. Based in Lawrence, Otago, Mark is a fourth generation sheep and beef farmer. He has a progressive view of farming and the need to increase the value add component of primary exports, which I'm keen to hear more about in detail a little later on. Um, thank you all so much for joining us tonight and would you like to welcome them all with a round of applause. Now, I thought it might be nice to get a bit of a report card first from those who are currently in government or have previously been in government, which covers everyone, <laughs> helpfully. So perhaps to the minister first, what is the one thing that you're most proud of in this term of government in terms of advancing animal welfare that is a tangible thing that this government has done? Um, the issue of intensive winter grazing, which is a uh, practice used right throughout New Zealand, um, but more so in Southland because of the, the growing uh, patterns of grass. And uh, we saw some pretty horrific images. Um, and people would have, over the years, I guess, seen those from time to time. Um, but clearly, with the new levels of a scrutiny on our farming systems, uh, new expectations from consumers, uh, those images are no longer acceptable. And uh, so while animals have to be fed um, uh, through the winter, it wasn't simply possible to stop that. To intervene, but we pulled together a task force. We have some recommendations, and we're rolling them out. And already this winter, and it does depend on the weather, um, but the practices so far are a lot better. Okay, so you're looking to eliminate that over the next period. Uh, we, we won't eliminate intensive winter grazing. It's mm. part of a normal farming system, mm. but we'll have clear protocols mm. that say that you, you, these, this is what you have to do. And some of it's ensuring that there's a, you know, relatively dry area. You can't have it rains. You can't, you know, guarantee it's dry. Mm. That you know the mud is minimal, um, and that the animals have enough to eat, and and that you know they can um, carry out normal practice. You know, and which is walking around and not not mud. And who is going to be managing those protocols to make sure that they're followed? Uh, regional councils, MPI, SPCA, anyone with a phone. That's the reality. People know we've raised the profile of it 
And I think every person in Southland would be aware that that's not something that will be tolerated. And someone driving past in a car will take a photo and, and, and go to either MPI, um, to the, re the, re the regional or district council, and say this is not on. So you welcome that, members of the Absolutely. public? Okay, yeah. cool. Good for everyone to know. That's, that's um, the reality of, of farming systems, I think, and, and pretty much everything we do in our country, that we are in a fishbowl. Um, and, and, you know, people's expectation, as long as they're reasonable, have to be met. Um, I, there are some issues there that, that would be good to pick up on later, but I might first go to the two um, support parties and say either, I guess, the thing that you are, again most proud of that your party has got enacted in terms of, of advancing animal welfare or the thing that you're most disappointed that you weren't able to get through in this parliamentary term and would like to next term were you given the opportunity. <laughs> um, shall I start with you, Mark? Uh, thank you, Charlotte, and um, good evening, everyone. Um, look, I guess in terms of the animal welfare stuff, we tended to work uh, pretty closely uh, with Damien. I don't think there's been uh, much of a gap in terms of how we've seen uh, the space, and I would, would actually just like to endorse uh, the sentiments around the winter grazing because I do farm in South Otago and not far from the Southland border, and it's, a, it's an incredibly important part of our farming system we can't grow grass through the winter months so uh, we do need to be able to manage it it's an important um, tool but it's it's also I think farmers are increasingly aware that uh, it's under scrutiny uh, that standards have to lift that we have to put more contingencies in place uh, and you know I think I mean I see uh, Helen's here she, she you know you're involved in that task force there's a real willingness and an understanding that we have to do better, but also there is some challenges there. So, okay. Um, and how about for you, Gareth? Yeah, cool. Well, I'm um, Kira Brian, Namihinui Kiakoto Kira. Thank you for say for inviting us all. Look, I mean, it's positive the steps forward on winter grazing. I mean, it was absolutely shocking what we had seen in the past, and an indictment for us. And you know, as we see with say our fishing industry, we've actually had threats from the US government uh, to, to limit our entire exports. So, what happens on our farms? in one region has a huge impact across the rest of the country. So, look, for, for me personally, I'm, I'm departing in peace, so I can be honest and frank. <laughs> um, to, to my mind, it's been a bit of a term of two, two, two halves, in the sense that, um, obviously, we had a Minister for Animal Welfare for the first half, and I remember those days. It was incredibly positive. Many of you would have been at that Animal Welfare hilly. There were more than 100 people there, and there was a real sense of a, a work plan, momentum coming out of it. Work was starting on the idea of an independent voice for animals, a commissioner for animals, which I strongly endorse. And sadly, that work didn't pro didn't progress. So uh, I would love to have seen that progress. And look for the Greens; it'll be something we'll be pushing in our post-election negotiations. Because you know, like rivers, like children, those entities that don't have a voice, they need someone to be able to speak for them. Because look, um, our animals can't go to court on their account; they can't lay a complaint on their account. We need a champion for them. Okay. And for David, I mean, your, your government was in power for a long stretch of time previously, so can you pick out the one thing that you think that the national-led government best did or you're proudest of in terms of advancing animal welfare? Yeah, well, thanks, Charlotte, and thank you to uh, Deborah and your team, and, um, and good evening, everybody. Uh, well, we did a, a major piece of legislation in 2015 which um, really set up quite a, a new process where regulations could be set and uh, there could be consequences for breach of those regulations and, and we set up 46 regulations 
um, in our time um, as a result of that. So I think that that legislation was um, our uh, biggest um, advancement in animal welfare while we were in government. And that's certainly something that we're now holding particular issues up to and seeing whether they meet those tests, right? And yeah. a bunch of issues yeah. that we're going to talk yeah. about tonight, yeah. sure. Okay, so um, there's a lot in there that I want to get back to, but I guess first if we start with kind of a big picture thing and look at, obviously, New Zealand's targets, climate change targets under the Paris Agreement are substantial and at the same time we're also coming off the back of a pandemic which has affected the economy and we've also got to face the reality that you know the pandemic risks from high intensity um, farming are are scientifically established even though we don't know um, what the case was in this particular pandemic. Um, Farmers are being confronted by a lot of challenging issues and it seems clear that things are going to have to change in the sector. So I wondered whether anyone would like to start by pinpointing what you think one thing is that's not sustainable in the agriculture sector and how you would support um, farmers to make transitions to more sustainable practices or more sustainable areas of farming. Um, Anyone like to start? I think the Minister had his, had his hand up first. Um, I there'll be things that will change and that won't be continued, whether that you call them unsustainable or not. I, I guess farm practice in this country has evolved far more quickly than just about anywhere else in the world. And, and farmers do respond to market signals um, and they also respond to public opinion. Maybe a little slower on public opinion because people get entrenched in what they do and I'd suggest that that happens in, in any, everything we do. Um, but we have moved and we, we established a primary sector to council, which which is to say, what's the vision we have for our for our primary sectors? And and so they did. They worked through uh, eighteen month to two year process. In fact, it's been longer than two years to to launch uh, what we had. Uh, to say that we have to move to more sustainable practices in every part of our system, whether it's soil management. Um, animal welfare, whether it's looking after the people, just to make sure that the concept of tatayao, which is what we have launched, which is around well-being of every part of the systems in the world we live in, that has to be the underpinning of everything in agriculture. And so um, what could change? Everything. Um, But I still believe we'll have uh, animal production for animal protein. Um, We'll have milk. Um, We we will have uh, plant protein. We, we probably won't reach the scales that we see elsewhere, be it South America or the US, for plant protein. That, that is, we can, in the small areas, you know, produce very high levels of high-quality protein, um, but I guess we're not going to compete. Uh, where we are very good is, is at animal protein um, and letting them convert sunshine and rain um, and a bit of nutrient effectively into grass and, and, and then into animal protein. Do you accept, though, that that the current level and intensity of farming will not be able to maintained, be maintained and keep our Paris commitments and everything else? Or no, do you not accept that? No, I mean, it depends on how you measure intensity. Right. Um, you know, so there's a huge number of mitigations that we can implement. Now, if, if you were to go to the extreme, you'd have all animals inside, you catch all the methane, you, you'd catch all the excrement and you'd have biodigesters and you'd use all that energy and you could say we've got a zero carbon agricultural system. But it doesn't 
allow the animals to reflect their natural habits, you know, and, and pastoral grazing is what we should be proud of. In fact, most of our animals live a life compared to most agricultural systems in the world that, that is, is uh, second to none, you know, so they do get out. So I, I don't think we want to get into the system of, you know, uh, having to go indoors to mitigate the emissions, there are other um, mitigations that are being developed, be it seaweed fed to animals, be it different pasture species, or be it low levels, uh, lower levels of stocking rates per hectare. All of those things will be part of it. Does anyone on the panel think that we need less animal-intensive farming? <laughs> Surprise. Um, <laughs> So, so the uh, the other two of you would be on on the same kind of wavelength as the minister there. Okay, sure. Um, can, I, can I just qualify? And, and we've said um, through our um, targets around fresh water that there are probably some areas of New Zealand where we've got levels of intensification of, of animals that have to be wound back a bit um, and I think farmers will adjust to that and, and what we have to do is provide the tools so that they can make those decisions in a rational way given, um, given clear guidelines from central government and I guess one of the challenges has been that farmers have worked in, in an area of unclear guidelines around um, nutrient uh, around uh, nutrient runoff, around animal welfare. And so as we develop those things, for the most part, all sensible farmers adapt and, and adjust and, and do what do is, is the right thing. So, Gareth, from your perspective, when, for example, Labor was promising ahead of the 2014 and 2017 elections that, that they would want to reduce the scale of factory farming. And I guess that, that depends on your definition of factory farming, same as it <laughs> you know, depends on your definition of intensification. Do you think that that's something the government could conceivably say that they have done? Not to date, but I'm confident and hopeful in the future. In fact, I think it's one of the great challenges our agricultural sector faces. Now, I'm not in the ability to, to launch this because my co-leaders are launching it this Saturday, but it's our election policies and what we're going to be taking to the post-election negotiations to form the government. And our top line is ban and phase out the use of factory farming. Um, there it is in black and white, and I guess this is why it's great to have this event tonight, because you're getting the parties to put their perspectives on the table in public so we can be held to account. Um, respectfully to the, uh, to the Minister, I agree with a lot of what he said, but I think he's not being as ambitious as he can with those plant-based proteins, because... I mean, I, I come from a freezing worker family, right? Um, that, that closed in Gisborne in the 1980s. We've seen these big change points in our history, and when it comes to the alternative proteins, it's actually going to be the intellectual property, the ones who come up the ideas and the science that are actually going to capture the value out of it. You know, I've been to a number of conferences, and we could actually see, you know, factories in towns or close to towns overseas. You know, it's unlikely. I think perhaps that's what the minister was saying. We're not going to be exporting alternative proteins, but we need to be the ones coming up with the solutions, the innovation. That's what we did, you know, more than 100 years ago with agriculture, and it's what we need to do again today, but I've found very little evidence that it's, there's considerable thinking within the Crown Research Institutes, uh, within our scientific enterprises. You know, we should be setting a goal to try and lead the world in the development of alternative proteins, alternative milks. You know, I've raised with the Minister challenges companies are having in New Zealand trying to get safety accreditation for oat milk, for example, or alternative milks, we need to have a much more positive, uh, open environment to that. I, I, 
I mean, uh, there will always be bureaucratic hitches to yeah. whatever we do in terms of new, new technology, but I have to say we are open to all of those things. We're not closing the door to that, but we still have the reality of, of animal, um, animal protein um, feeding you know, hundreds of millions of people across the world. And I guess we have the privilege and the luxury of a first world nation of being able to have those, you know, make those decisions and, and those choices. I guess where we see there's a real future in us, uh, showing the world how to, how, to, how to develop animal protein in third world countries and help them have, have I guess, higher standards of living and, and more protein input. Um, but do it in a way that reduces the impact on emissions and climate change. And that's where we, we have been putting our efforts through the Global Research Alliance mm. so that how we can continue with animal protein um, and plant protein. We're not shutting the door to that, but that's an area of expertise that we have developed. So for David or Mark, any, any ideas around investment that you would commit to or consider committing to around... Um, agriculture, sustainable agriculture transitions, investment in plant proteins um, or any of those issues that we've just discussed. Is that something that you would that you would commit to investing in or? Well I think the, um, there, there is a movement to sustainability in farming anyway. Right, um, yeah. You know you have to look at um, Fonterra set that up as their goal 10 years ago. Yeah. You know, much earlier than um, a lot of other um, political or um, corporate um, entities have, have published and th- that's demanded by the market and also by our communities so um, that, that force is already there and uh, you're seeing the adaption of Kiwi farmers and their transition uh, to ensure that they meet those demands and, it's, and uh, so I think that's, that's organically happening uh, already and uh, that process will I, I believe continue yeah, Mark? Yeah, I, I mean, I'll pick up on that theme. In terms of the alternative proteins, I think the market will drive that. I, I heard the other day that there's been a big uptick in China, for example, um, post-COVID. They're, you know, they're looking for safer or, or their perceived um, safer products. Uh, and so the market will deliver those outcomes. I don't uh, necessarily think the government needs to wait in one way or the, another there. But just to pick up on David's theme, last Friday I spent the day at a seminar in Invercargill on regenerative farming. Uh, if I'd have gone to that same seminar three or four years ago, there might have been half a dozen people in the room. There was you know, about 120. Uh, and, and these are mainstream farmers that are not... Uh, you know, they're just looking at different ways to run, run their businesses. So I think there's a, a quiet revolution going on on farms that possibly isn't totally recognised out in, in urban New Zealand. Interesting. Can I, can I just respond and say that I think the, the opportunity, though, is we sit on our hands and we're bystanders to this massive change point as it happens, and it happens to us rather than us leading it or playing a major role. I mean, KFC is doing vegan chicken. Mm. I know some of the biggest stock initial price right, uh, capital raisings since the dot-com boom are happening in this space today. And I guess my fear is that because we've done traditional agriculture better than a lot of countries for so long that we're going to stay in that mindset. And can I ask you, do you still... You made some pretty strong comments about um, Air New Zealand when they were doing the Beyond Burger. Do you still stand by that? Because I see it as a massive economic opportunity for this country. Yeah, well, I think think the danger in doing that, or or going back to the Air New Zealand thing, is you Mm. start to to look like you're marginalising the traditional, uh, you know, animal proteins uh, and that 
economically is pretty dangerous for New Zealand. But I'm, you know, I'm, a, I'm an absolute realist. I know that there's market demand for that. People are, are looking for it, and it'll be a growing, um, a growing category. And, and it's actually one that will drive a lot of the other change that, you know, we'd all like to see. Um, I, I think one of the the challenges, that, and, and we, we need to research this bit more, is that um, the discerning customers, who are the people who can afford to buy our food, because it is more expensive often, um, do they want a highly processed um, plant-based product, or do they want what many would call a natural meat pro, uh, product, and pasture-based? And I think that that's an interesting one, that, that some people are talking about um, natural unprocessed, which, which some might say is meat, um, some might not. Um, but then you have an alternative. That uh, The other issue is the GMO base of that. Not, not all yeah, yeah. protein, um, plant-based, but a lot is. Important related, but, but possibly separate issue, yeah, yeah. Well, um, I, I think, you know, I mean, these are all complex issues. Yeah, As Mark yeah. said, there's a market play for all of them. Mm. And, and I, I think, you know, the point is made, we're not sitting back and letting it pass by, but I think we are realistically monitoring it and, and the doors open. We have an SFFF. Um, there's about $70 million a year available for anyone with an innovative idea for land use. And some of the applications have come for plant-based protein and have been supported. And there was a Colmar Brunton study last year that was some, said something like 34% of New Zealanders were either not eating meat or trying to eat less meat. So that, that consumer side... Probably that's less than the percentage of my daughters. So three of my five daughters <laughs> yeah. are, are vegetarians. So um, yeah. I want to I want to kind of move down a little bit from that that highest level thing and onto onto the animal welfare monitoring component of that farming because we have what 160 million farmed animals in this country and something like around 30 still I think. Um, I well, don't know whether we have about 160 million. I, I, 160. Yeah. Oh, sorry, yes, yeah. if you, if you're including chickens. Sorry, yeah, yeah, yes, I apologize. Yeah. Yeah. Including yeah. chickens, all farmed yeah. animals. Um, and, and something like around 30 inspectors. Um, plus that, all of SPCA. Yes, plus all of SPCA. Um, but what we see is that the prosecution rate on those kind of offences is really low. Um, and when there was a case recently, there was um, a farmer in Northland who was fined, I think, about $3,000. And that was one where, where some of the people in this room and federated farmers, actually, for once, were very united in their, um, in their distaste for that sentence. They thought it was too low. So I wondered what commitment people would make to monitoring and enforcement, particularly around those components of the 2015 amendments to the Animal Welfare Act, and whether it is possible to do that without an independent, separate body or commissioner. Um, perhaps we might start with you this time, David. What would your commitment be to that? Well, I think we have MPI there as the organisation to do that, and the question is whether we would have a a separate entity, I mm. guess. And, um, I mean, the argument yeah. with the MPI, right, is that is that their part of their remit or their primary remit is around agricultural production, and there is a feeling that there can be a conflict of interest between um, the the amount that is required to focus and and the resources spent on that and the resources spent on the enforcement yeah. of the welfare of animals. Well, I think MPI is a very broad church. You know that that they can range from trade issues to um, promoting agriculture and horticulture um, to environmental issues, as, as the Minister's talked about. 
earlier around um, emissions and things like that. So they, they, they cover a whole ambit. So I don't think they've got a particular focus that um, would stop them having the ability to act in other ways. And um, I, I think... But at the we've... moment, there's not a high level of prosecution, though. Well, well, I think we've got very good staff within MPI as well. Like, like um, And the leadership of Ray is there is probably one of the, the um, most senior um, government CEOs. And I, I think we need to trust them um, as an organisation. Uh, I believe that they, um, they've got a duty to perform as a government organisation and, and I don't see them as um, discounting that duty um, because they've got other duties to perform as well. I think they're, they're a thorough enough organisation to do both. So you would have MPI do it. Would you allocate more resources to that? Because well, that's up 30 to... inspectors doesn't sound a lot. Well, that's up to them to determine how they they want to, and the CEO will determine that as the as the um, person that determines how they use that income. It, right, so you wouldn't allocate specifically for well, a particular... Well, government, that's the, the... Ministers can't get involved in... It's like us saying that we should have 10 police... Mm. in this, this town and two police in that town. But in um, terms we, of the overall program of animal welfare, that's yeah. something that you could allocate resources to? Well, you could, yeah, yeah. yeah. But, like, they've got a budget there already mm. and, um, and I trust MPI to be able to exercise that budget well. And if they came to you and said, well, they needed more money, well, that's their, their ability to do that, to lobby okay. their minister, you know. OK, well, if anyone is listening from MPI yeah. and wants some more money... Um, <laughs> we, we have put more money in every year yeah. uh, in, in our budget. And, and, we're and I realise the number of inspectors has risen from the and, low 20s, I think, to about 30, right? So, so uh, look, there's no mandate not to prosecute. In fact, I have encouraged them to proceed with prosecution. Clearly, there are legal issues. Uh, the way the law is set up, you know, so, they, so sometimes they say, we're not going to get a prosecution on this. I, I have encouraged them in some areas... Um, to move ahead and at least take it to court. Uh, and, you know, there's a, there's, there's, uh, they have to make that judgment, not me. I'm not a lawyer. Um, so there's been no um, instruction at all to, to ease off on prosecutions. It's up to them. We, do, we have put more money into SPCA and, and they are on the ground and they can bring issues. I've not heard from SPCA complaints that, that issues that they've raised haven't been prosecuted in the court. There have been infringement notices. There, there has been a follow-up. Um, and, and if they were knocking on my door and saying, you should be prosecuting um, and you're not, uh, then I would take issue and, and I'd follow that up. That hasn't been the case. And I think there are a whole lot of circumstances, and I, I'm not making judgment on the, uh, the judge himself, he or her, their judgment, um, but they do have all the facts before them um, and the law is there and, and no-one would support you know that kind of behaviour, but in the end, the judge made a call on what was the appropriate uh, um, penalty. Some of the most high-profile cases in recent years have come about because of activist videos that were taken in some cases in yeah. breach of the law. Um, does that mean that there aren't enough people out there actually checking? Probably. Yeah, yeah. I, I, so, I, admit, I mean, it's it's a bit like police. You know, we we we've boosted the police numbers, but but there's always going to be crime occurring, and people in the local community say we don't have enough police here to stop the crime. I I, I think it's the reality of of law. So what we what we're trying to do in an MPI to go back to the point, uh, they're very focused on this. We can't have sustainable production systems and farming unless we have really good high animal welfare standards. I met this afternoon with the European ambassadors. Their farm-to-fork strategy 
absolutely focused on animal welfare. You know, the consumer pushback on that area is, is first and foremost, even before climate change. We're aware of it. We can't produce um, um, food in this country without the high standards of animal welfare, or they will block it. And MPI is very aware of that. You sounded like you wanted to jump Well, in. I mean, I wasn't trying to be rude looking at my phone before, but I'm not that quick on my feet, so I did the maths on my calculator. It's 5.3 million animals per inspector. I mean, I think it's ridiculous to expect that a single inspector can monitor that many animals. So I acknowledge there's been a small increase, but we need to go further. And to my mind, I think, as the animal welfare regime has evolved over time, we're due for a new evolution. And I think actually giving animals a voice with an independent commissioner, but also having independence for monitoring, investigation and enforcement, I think is the next logical step to meet those ambitions uh, and expectations that other countries have. Because in terms of the legislation, I've seen international ports, we're ranked in the top five, you know, in terms of the legislation. In terms of the actual animal welfare on the ground impacts, I think we're ranked about 40th uh, in comparative countries, according to some reports. So we do have to, to lift our game. And having an independent enforcement regime, because we shouldn't be outsourcing it to activists. And you know, with respect, I think MPI should have appealed that case with that horrible cow basher. Um, and you know, there were warnings given. And the difference is when people like, you know, make serious uh, allegations to the police, they do immediately investigate. That hasn't happened in New Zealand historically. Mm. In terms of. Um uh, I mean, we keep referring back to this 2015 law change, and one of the one of the points in that is around adequate shelter for animals, um, which is a big one that's been coming up in viewer questions so far today. Probably the most common question is people wanting to know which parties will make a commitment to, especially as our hots get hotter and our wets get wetter and the dries get drier, which I don't think anyone here, especially is from farming backgrounds, will deny is the case. Um, how are we protecting animals from the elements and what kind of commitments would you make to um, imposing rules, standards, protocols around that kind of thing? Mark, should we start with you? Uh, well, I'm, normally forums I go to, I'm criticised for putting too many trees in rather than uh, taking that. But, um, <laughs> yeah, well, I, I mean, I grew up on the Canterbury Plains and back in those days, you know, there was a shelter belt in every paddock. So, you know, I must admit, I have some sympathy, but, you know, you see the big centre pivots and they've, they've taken everything out. So, um, yeah, I think, yeah, more, more work should be done, actually, in trying to, to um, have some shelter, but, you know, low sort of flax type shelter or whatever you can build into those uh, systems. Um, but Do we need to make it a rule? Does it have to be regulated in some way? It, it's actually in the law now. Right. Um, that there should be. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's in, I the, it's, it's in the act, yeah, but yeah. it's not necessarily. The other side of it too is that um, as as markets evolve and um, and um, companies evolve, like for example, um, organic dairy farmers, for example, have to plant have a planting regime. Mm on their property for exactly that reason, you know? And, um, and as the markets evolve and um, you, you're seeing, especially in the dairy industry, uh, a development of um, pricing of payment uh, based on quality of product. And that's not just quality as in cleanliness, but also um, other factors around um, animal health and animal welfare as well are coming into that. So I think that that will evolve over time. Uh, through a lot of our producers as well. 
It, it does come back to that enforcement piece again, though, right? Because adequate shelter is, is you've just pointed out in in the Animal Welfare Act. I, I think what you see is, as uh, Mark said, you know, there used to be these rows of the big pine trees. Mm, um, yeah. Not ideal either, but um, uh, in Canterbury, and they've come down, and, and what we are seeing, thankfully, is, is better, often indigenous flaxes and lower bushes appearing on most of those dairy farms. And the ones that don't have them, you know, they, they should be forced to change that. I think that will happen, um, and indeed most good farms have done that. As soon as they've got their basic infrastructure in place, then they do start to plant. Mm-hmm. Um, There's a whole lot more that we could get to in this monitoring space and perhaps we will in some of the listener questions but I do want to move on to colony cages which I think is not only a big issue um, for some of the people here but also for um, the public and you know um, consumers making decisions around buying eggs has has definitely increased in terms of um, the public interest and how invested people are in that. So um, the the last time SAFE had one of these debates, they were talking about um, phasing out battery cages by 2022 was kind of the big news. Um, and what we've moved to instead is these colony cages, which, which advocates would say are still... Um, indoors, they're still windowless, there's still not enough room given to the birds. Um, I think the I think the space is 750 square centimetres which is a little bit bigger than a sheet of paper like this um, per bird for their lifetime um, although those, those cages do have more furnishings and, and that sort of thing in them and they have more birds in them as well I mean, is that enough space for a bird for their lifetimes? Is that is phasing out colony cages the next thing, or do you think that that's something the industry is? I mean, we we, um, we seek advice from NAWAC on this, and it's an independent agency. Um, it's not got a um, an agenda. It's to give us the best possible advice. Um, weighing up, of course, it's not not oblivious to the realities of, of production systems and the costs. So I'm not I'm not trying to say that, that there's no constraints on it, um, but. It's animal welfare first and foremost. And so it was an evolution, I guess, um, in, into colonies. And, and I've seen, um, you know, a free range. And free range comes in lots of different forms. Um, and, of course, the integrity of that claim is something we have to monitor as well. So lots to do. I, th- I think it will evolve, evolve over time. Um, and I'm not sure I buy into the, you know, there will be additional costs perhaps for eggs. And, and it's a, a, a valuable source of protein and food for Kiwis. Um, but I think the industry will, will respond to those market signals. And uh, I know it seems as though it's always free-range eggs that end up in our fridge at home. So, you know, I, I guess that, that, that will drive a, a shift in, in investment. Would anyone's party commit to a phasing out of colony cages? Well, could I just make the because you asked the question before that I didn't quite get a chance to answer about what, what would be one thing that you think we could really improve. And I, I think in that whole animal welfare space, that's the one that probably uh, alarms me the most. And, and I'm not really an expert on it, but I, I think what I'm seeing, and I know it's better than what it was, but I think we could probably go faster in that, that direction. So is that something you would uh, make as part of a supply agreement with the government, uh, or what's, what's no, well, I mean, decide we, now? <laughs> we're very much of the you know the supporting of the NAWAC model, and and but you know with I guess some direction to have a look at something like that um, as the science supports it. But you know the the facts that you out, 
line before in terms of the the actual area they've got, it, you know, it's pretty hard to see how that's that's a good good life for that. Um, Someone threatened this morning to bring in an actual chicken, but I figured we could use our imaginations. Um, Can I give you an example, though? Yeah, yeah, sure. Mark and I are on both sides of labour at the moment, uh, literally and metaphorically. And, I mean, one example where it's worked really well, this government, is oil and gas, right? We've got quite strong, different opinions on the issue. But one area we could get agreement was that we need to support those workers with the transition. And that's what we're doing with this. And this is something I think we should keep exploring in the agricultural sector. I mean, I think you're mad if you're investing in colony crates and colony cages in New Zealand. I mean, our supermarkets are moving faster than um, governments at the moment. International trends are changing. You'd be mad to invest in. I think the government's got a responsibility to support those people to transition. I mean, another example is, ironically, I've worked closely with Paul KNZ on my country of origin food labelling bill, where Kiwis now get the right to, to know which country their food comes from. And they've told me if there was government support to transition away from farrowing crates, they would happily do it. I mean, almost half of them use alternative systems at the moment. So here's a good example where I think maybe Mark and I could get on the same page, which is it's the government's, I think, responsibility to support farmers to transition to more modern, sustainable farming methods. Many in this audience might not want to support farmers uh, and, and with, with cash or loans or tax credits. There's multiple different ways. But like we've seen with the Provincial Growth Fund, there's a, a way that we can support people to do the right thing. So from colony cages through to farrowing crates, I'd love to see the government, and it is in black and white in our policy, which we'll be taking to the election, to support people to do the right thing. Okay. Um, I was going to, we were going to talk about farrowing crates today, but as you'll all be aware there, it's before the courts at the moment, so um, <laughs> so I might do it in the quick fire round, but we won't devote too much um, attention to it while it's, while it's a matter before the High Court presently but um i guess um i guess one of the one of the reasons that colony cages have been such an issue is because it does again in that animal welfare act um talk about the natural behaviors of animals right and we would all agree right that being in a cage even a slightly better cage is curtails the natural behavior of animals yeah I, I, I guess I also accept the reality that if you, um, the, the neighbour has a, a chook pen, and so the, the, they see some, there is some security in that pen for chooks as well. I mean, it's the, the But nature. you're talking about a different scale, right? We are, we are, yeah. but I'm, I'm saying we just got to be, have to be absolute on this. And we have moved, progressed, and again, we go back to NAWAC, who have the knowledge, who have the expertise to give us guidance. I think the direction of travel is quite clear. I don't think we have to. As you said, Gareth, I wouldn't be investing in colonies, you know, and I'm sure no smart person would be either. So, so we're going to move in that direction over time. I guess the issue is the, is the cost. Um, as I said, it may not be as great as people claim, uh, and over time it might be something that happens anyway. Um, I guess the speed of travel is often uh, the issue that we're debating here mm. in animal welfare. I'm just going to say, I think it's unacceptable. I mean, that tiny single scratch pad is not, I think, consistent with our law. And this is part of the problem of the animal welfare uh, policy environment in New Zealand is we've got good legislation, but the codes of welfare, as we see with other areas like rodeos, I believe act as a a weakening and a a legal protection for lower standards of what the act otherwise would be. I've got chickens at home. We keep them for weed control. Uh, They're great for getting rid of trade to Scantia in Wellington. Um, I hate the idea that they would be confined in such a tiny space. And because otherwise, what's the point of this kind of internationally groundbreaking law, right, if we don't follow it? 
but <laughs> um, well, we I'm, are following the law yeah, according yeah. to the guidance from NAWAC. But I mean, right. that, that's that's interpretation. I, I mean, mm. as, so some of these things go to court for judgment and yeah, interpretation. Yeah. Um, in terms of commitments that your parties have made. Um, Gareth just mentioned rodeos and that was something that Labour talked about before the last election was um, reforming elements of rodeos um, things like flank straps um, electric prodders and that kind of thing we haven't seen movement in that space yes we have Um, have but but those those markers that, that 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 are generally pointed out as the ones that people find no we we've we've seen we have seen improvement in rodeos and there's monitoring um and and so to say that nothing has happened is un, is, is incorrect and, but you've and still I got all of those markers far, there we've got a, there are still rodeos going on and, no but and, i mean those markers like oh, flank straps the electric products so? animals are still dying i mean last season yeah, people do on the roads as well yeah i know we, we have some terrible tragedies across our and, and it's not intended at all. But we don't have death races with audiences watching people. Well, I, I, won't, I won't go any further into that other than say that, that, that if we go to a motor race, you might. Um, I, I, I'm, I'm saying, uh, look, rodeos have been accepted. Again, we take guidance. And there'll be people who don't agree with them. I accept that. But we have made progress in terms of monitoring and ensuring that animals are better protected. Um, and, and I have said somewhat flippantly, people might say, that my experience with some of those rodeo animals, they're looked after far better than perhaps any other animals you know, in, across the normal agricultural system. Not to say that the others are abused, but to say that they are valued. Um, it might be for purposes that people don't see as fair, but, but you know, they, are, they are looked after and cared for. And, and we have done some, we've made some changes to make sure that at the rodeos themselves, less possible harm can occur. Um, I've made it a priority for myself this term because I believe what we do to animals in public sends a very strong message to what happens to animals in private. And the fact that this is happening, and look, you would be arrested if you did it to a companion animal. And I acknowledge the work of the Animal Law Association. They've done the legal analysis of it. Um, You know, NAWAC did look at it and they found only a single event, the barrel race, didn't have animal welfare impacts. So, look, I, I, I think it's an indictment. Obviously, it's changing already because they're less popular the rodeos are declining sponsors are pulling out look again i see the green party's job is to um to support the government to do the right thing because it's the right thing to do and that's what we'll be pushing in the next election and it's been the bill i've had in the ballot unfortunately it hasn't been pulled this term but those events that NAWAC did identify that had serious animal welfare impacts like uh bronc riding um with flank straps the calf roping yeah. uh, which i find absolutely abhorrent you know, it shouldn't be happening in a country. And I think it's an agricultural risk, if I'm quite honest, because we don't farm like that anymore in New Zealand. And it's a not a good positive image for our agricultural sector. I'll give one more really quick one before I go to the quick fire round, because I realise we're on such a tight timeline. We had about 50 more topics to get through. But um, the, the review of the live export of animals. Um, I actually just saw there was an update on the website today, in fact, um, <laughs> which is great news, um, that the consultation period on that has closed and uh, more than 3,500 submissions were received. Um, I guess I might just go down the line and say, um, obviously... Um, for Labour, presumably, that means you would be, um, you know, awaiting the content of those submissions and to see to see what they were. But um, I might start with David and say, the export of live animals. Would you want a policy around 
um, committing to only exporting to countries that had similar animal welfare standards to New Zealand um, or any other kind of change or restriction on the export of live animals. Well, we'd be interested in seeing that results of that um, review as well uh, because I think uh, you know, all parties would want to see that first because that would give them a base to, to work with. Uh, but essentially, um, you know, live wheat exports for slaughter is, is not allowed and it, it's for breeding purposes that animals would be um, exported. And, um, you know, there are certain markets that... Uh, uh, like to have our animals as they're growing their industries um, and you know it depends um, on the, the market as well around how that actually uh, fulfills itself in the future but um, I think it would it would we'd wait to see that review uh, but in the meantime um, you've got certain rules there as well uh, that um, have got restrictions on the ability to live export animals for certain purposes. Anyone wouldn't wait to see the results of the review? Uh, yes. <laughs> yeah, yes. No, yes, in, in, in the sense that I acknowledge uh, the Minister for, for commencing the review and you know, the Green Party has formally consulted on these decisions and in every part of correspondence I've urged the strongest possible protections and prohibitions. When you've got ships with 30,000 animals and a single vet on board, that's just not appropriate. And there aren't. And in fact, you know, one of the things we've done before the review is completed is, is, is upgraded the level of scrutiny and oversight that we have on any of these shipments. Firstly, we, we're not going to send these to uh, countries, and we saw examples from Sri Lanka, again, where they went to, I guess they were probably genuine farmers who then ran out of feed and, because of cultural reasons, did not euthanise the animals. Clearly, uh, abhorrence, not something that we can tolerate or be connected to. So the animals that we have been sending out of the country in the last, um, I guess, six to eight months, they've all gone to China. They're all high-value breeding animals. And so the question of, of whether we should, and, and there's some farmers who are saying that we shouldn't send any of our good animals away. Should, we should just keep, keep them and sell them our milk or our, our, our meat. I guess there's an ethical issue there as to whether we should, as, as a country that has developed good genetics, um, more efficient production, whether we should share that. And, and I have a view that, that we should. Um, it doesn't undermine our position. Um, and indeed, we, we, um, I think we should be the best farmers for the world. And that is sharing that knowledge to feed people properly more efficiently. So a cow that we can produce, the genet genetics that we provide to China or to anywhere else will mean that for the same amount of feed input, they'll get a lot more milk. And that's better than having an animal that produces two or three litres there's the same emissions in the, in, into the atmosphere, um, probably consumes the same amount of feed, but produces far less protein. So it's, it is about us assisting, um, but we have to ensure that on, on the passage to that location, at the location, and then beyond that, that those animals are cared for properly in the standards that we would. So we'll watch this space. Um, I'm going to go down the line and ask some questions that you are only allowed to answer with yes or no. <laughs> One word answers. Or good luck. Yeah. Um, good luck. It's a bit tricky. <laughs> um, seriously, yes or no. Um, do you support um, a ban on greyhound racing? Yes or no? Start with you. No. Yes, and that's a change from our previous position. No. It'd be very career limiting for me to say. Uh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> no, we don't, we don't support it. Um, an even more career limiting one for the MP from New Zealand first. Um, do you support a ban on horse racing? Yeah. Yes or no? <laughs> <laughs> we'll start with you, Mark. So, so, uh, so, do I support a ban? No, of course not. No. 
No, but I can give you the details. Oh, what oh, I can you get one word? No. Um, do if, you, you if you want natural behaviour in a horse, it's to race. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, what I've been urging okay. the government to do is an end to slaughter, <laughs> rehoming, and a traceability regime, which we don't have. Would you support a ban on the forced swim test for um, for small animals like rats and mice when they're dropped into a beaker of water as part of a scientific experiment? Um, it's a long story to explain it in full, but I'm sure everyone here knows what it is. Would you support a ban on forced swim tests at our research institutions? You can stop. Oh, well, well, it's effectively like that now. <laughs> well, no, but it effectively is like that now. There are universities this year yeah. that are still doing that. Yeah, but there's a lot that haven't, you know. One word. We support a ban. If we're using that to find a, 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 a vaccine for COVID-19, would you say yes or no? <laughs> no. That, th- these are the these are the real questions. You have to answer. Okay, so your answer is, your answer is no. That's the issue. Is That's no. the issue. Okay. It's happening um, in universities because we're cheap. Okay. That's the, Mark, that's the honest one word. Uh, no. Okay. Um, do we need a crown entity for animals? I think we've we're pretty clear on this, but let's just go straight down the line. Crown entity for animals? No. Yes. It's called MPI. No. Um, do we need a minister for animal welfare or similar job title, as we had until 2018? No. Yes. I am. I'd go yes. Um, would you ban live exports to countries that have worse animal welfare codes than New Zealand? No. Yes. No. I'd like to, but no, if I can't. Um, would you phase out fast-grow chickens for meat? Uh, no. Yes. Yes, eat meat. Beef. So you would phase uh, no. them out? No. Okay. Sorry, I, no. No. Um, it, it, it's a bias in agriculture, sorry. I, I just <laughs> Uh, would you push for a change in minimum sentences on animal welfare violations or provisions in law that reflect the severity and harm of certain acts? No. I review. No. Current situation is adequate. No, Okay. Um, that was the quickfire round. It was more difficult than I anticipated. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> um, but, but this is why we could be here all night on these topics. And I think we've got some uh, questions from uh, viewers that are coming from somewhere. I think they may have been sent to my phone. Oh, excellent. Um, so, actually, I saw one earlier that was lovely. Anyone here got a dog? Yes. When Against they... my better judgment. Because, actually, I've always believed that dogs should be out to run around on the farm. Alan spends a little bit too much time in, in, inside. So the question, the question from the viewer was, where do they sleep? Where do they sleep? Yeah. In the house, against my advice. <laughs> I, I look, I, I, I enjoy dogs, and, and uh, I guess that from a farm perspective, um, I've always had dogs that run around in the mud, in the cow shit, and, and I've not liked them inside. And I maintain that, but I'm not the boss. <laughs> Yeah, um, actually quite similar. Yeah, we, we've got kennels, uh, good kennels, but 
um, my daughter's dragged the dogs inside and lost their nights down south. Touche. Can I say a controversial position, which is I think we should be registering breeders and banning um, the trade of animals on Trade Me, for example. You know, I've worked with a lot of... Um, companion animal charity rescue groups in New Zealand and we're seeing some absolutely shocking conditions with backyard breeders and the conditions that the SPCA aren't able to prosecute uh, because they, they just don't have the resources and we need to strengthen those. So, look, I know that's a controversial position but I think we need to evolve as we have with, you know, uh, microchipping with dogs previously. This is the next step. But doesn't that go to the heart of an issue? Of you don't want to ban companion animals but there are people who abuse animals inside uh, that, that doesn't mean that the practice of having one is bad itself. There are individuals, and I guess that it goes to the heart of many of the things that we're talking about here. But it's the um, breeders I'm talking about, the conditions uh, the breeders Well, and individual owners as well. And so I'm going to go to a couple of um, viewer questions now. Um, I, might, I might say if anyone would propose or support a change on this, indicate to me. Anna asks about the slaughter of bobby calves, um, whether dairy can move to a more humane practice without having to take calves from their mothers and slaughter them at only a few days old. And I know this is one that I'd seen crop up a lot through the viewer questions today. Would anyone propose a change to that practice or commit to a change to that practice? There's an argument that says that taking them straight away is more humane than taking them at three or four days. Um, it, it's a necessary practice in the current production systems we use. Uh, we have to be mindful of changing attitudes internationally to this and, and maybe having to adapt our systems uh, for that. Um, but the humane uh, disposal of bobby calves that are unwanted um, is perhaps better than having a whole lot of them um, starved because someone can't care for them properly. It also plays out um, to one of the previous discussions you were having about the live export because that that, those surplus animal, you know, that, so there's more because of that live export, that extra market, there's actually more uh, heifers being raised. So. I, I think you'll see with sexed semen, um, with people being able to choose, there will be less what you call surplus animals, um, and indeed many of them might go into other production systems. I, I think that the whole approach to bobby calves is changing, and I think that's a good thing. Um, but it's, it, it is quite complex if you look at, um, you know, animal behaviour, as I say, in, in connection or um, with the mother, that's, it's, a, it's a difficult area. I'll combine a couple of questions here. Um, does anyone know when the review of the live export um, the live export of animals is going to be completed? Does anyone have a... Look, that, that's, I mean, we've got those submissions in and it's currently underway. I, I, probably it will be uh, in the next government okay. when we come in. And, and someone else asks, why um, can't semen and eggs be sent instead of the animals? Well, it is. So you, anyone yeah. can buy New Zealand semen overseas. Mm, but so. but why, why is that not more widespread, is I think what they're asking. Uh, well, it, it is actually. Like a, the minister, when he answered that question, he... Um, he talked about the genetics going from the female, but um, uh, LIC um, and others um, sell a lot of New Zealand semen overseas. Okay, so that's that's an alternative option. Well, I mean, look, we're at the bottom of the world in some of the roughest seas, and I've sailed the Tasman Sea, mm. and um, I, like, I much prefer the idea of you know semen or eggs going overseas if we must send our genetics rather than animals that can potentially suffer. Mm. 
Um, here's a, a People put dogs in cars, um, and I would suggest that that might be more, uh, have more impact on them. I mean, I, if you start to get into those areas, it's really tricky, um, and, and I would suggest that you shouldn't put dogs in cars and, and drive them around windy roads. So, so you know, we... We're trying to be reasonable here. Um, here's a bit of a philosophical one, perhaps, um, for one of our last questions. Um, Tamison asks, do any of the panellists believe that non-human animals deserve equal consideration in terms of self-determination, bodily integrity and freedom as human animals? Let's make this no. yes or no. No, but uh, we've established in, in law sentience um, as, as an obligation for us in, in our animal welfare our law and, and protocols, and I think that's appropriate. Could you read it out again? Yes, um, completely. Do any of the panellists believe that non-human animals deserve equal consideration in terms of self-determination, bodily integrity and freedom as human animals? I think we have to have a conversation what self-determination means mm-hmm, in this context, totally. and I don't fully understand it, so yeah. I can't comment. But in terms of bodily integrity, you know, I, I know the farming practices that you know used to happen on our farms, and sadly still happen on some of our farms, is absolutely abhorrent, and it's part of this changing approach to animals. You know, I've had you know shearmilker friends, um, and the the old farmers, the way they treat the animals is absolutely disgusting. And it's about generational change, and I think maybe that's a part of it. Well, this, this is perhaps a question that spins off it a bit. Um, that law change that recognised, and this is from Helen, that law change that recognised animal sentience, how do you think that that has actually been reflected in policy, or do you think it has been... It has, it has changed the approach to policy around animals because the law now recognises that sentience? Do you think it has changed things? Well, there were yes. that, that law and then there were 46 regulations that came as a result of that that um, have changed the dynamics. Uh, and the question is whether there's more to be done. That's, that's the heart of the debate tonight. Uh, how much more to be done and what time? I, I, yeah. No, I mean, look, it says animals shouldn't be in fear and distress. Rodeos only work because the animal is in fear and distressed. Clearly it's not. No, I mean, clearly it has, and I think it's part of the, what you would call generational shift, that, that new farmers coming in are aware of that obligation. Um, uh, I, I said publicly, and I'd, I'd like to follow through at some stage, I, I believe we should have animal welfare standards for bees. Um, and because they are sentient animals and we are, we are farming them. Um, and they often get overlooked, taken for granted. Um, and I think that's one area I'd like to look at, and I will do, next government. Um, before we wrap up, I might ask another yes-no question. Um, which do, does your party or will your party have a specific animal welfare policy or set of policies? Well, um Yes, because every policy we do is in agriculture will have a welfare aspect to it. So people can look at your agriculture policy for the animal welfare components? Well, it's inherent in it because um, you've got issues like sustainability and, um, and best practice and that which will be in all agricultural policies of all parties and uh, that will include animal welfare necessarily. Yes, and people can see it this Saturday when we launch it. Uh, yes, we will have po- we'll have reference to animal welfare in, in our within policy. Within the agriculture but policy, it's, or it's yes, yeah. absolutely. Yes, likewise. You have a specific animal welfare policy. Yeah, we'll have we'll certainly have reference to animal welfare issues. Okay. Um, 
I think um, there's there's a bunch more. I mean, the people people I think in a couple of places just aren't quite satisfied with the with the answers, particularly on um, rodeos. I think um, that they were hoping for a bit more. <laughs> so if you if you want to think about soliciting some votes, that what might be an area. Calf roping. We're not being. I think in the area of calf roping. Uh, there are ways, and I know that, that you know they're working with the Cowboys Association, I guess, to, to work on. In my view, there's no reason you shouldn't have a bungee that is appropriate to reduce the shot on, on those calves' necks. I absolutely agree with that. And I think there are ways through that that either will have to happen or will be banned. I think part of the issue with that Labour was so kind of... decisive, and I mean Trevor Mallard was so decisive before the last election about the practices that he found abhorrent within that, but I think it's it's now, perhaps you're being held to that, you know, I think he talked about things like straps and yeah, I appreciate that, and you know, I mean, things things evolve and change, and, and um, you know, we had Nika, who you know, who did a good job lifting profile, and I've tried to carry that on. People may see that as as Minister of Agriculture, there's been less of a focus. There has been a change in a couple of areas, um, but but there's no less focus. Yeah, so I, I mean, I I should wait in here and uh, run a little bit of uh, defence because I've been an advocate for radio, so. Uh, but I have, uh, I am on record, and when we had the uh, the hui up in uh, Auckland, I do think the calf roping uh, is an area that we, we really do have to look at. Um, but, you know, there's, I guess there's wider issues here. It's a really important uh, social and cultural event in many of our rural areas, uh, enjoyed by many, and it's actually a, a, a sport that the uh, many generations of the same family uh, take part in uh, to get you know together compete together. So uh, we've as politicians have got to take all those uh, aspects into uh, consideration. I, I hear Gareth saying there uh, on the decline. Certainly the ones I go to and the, the one in my hometown, Lawrence, well attended. Um, I know there's a few up north that might be falling by the wayside, but. Um, yeah, I think we need some balance to this debate, but it, has, it does have to keep evolving. I think that, that rope and tie is, is the, um, you know, I think that's where the concessions seem to be made, and I tell, tell the radio people that too when I'm talking to them. Okay, great. Um, well, I really appreciate all of you coming along and putting yourselves out there on your positions today. It's much appreciated, and I realise it's a hugely broad and diverse set of issues, so to come up and agree to sit here for an hour and be grilled at random about any of them is, <laughs> is generous of you, so thanks for your time. Um, I would also like to thank, before we wrap up, um, Fran and Tanya, who have been interpreting us for us this evening. Um, And I'd also like to thank our live audience who are here in person. Um, And also, of course, I would like to thank um, those of you, I think over a thousand had registered um, earlier today uh, to watch along at home. So we really appreciate that. Um, But, and also, of course, safe for um, running this event. Um, you can visit their website safe.org.nz to find out more information actually about a lot of the issues that we have talked about tonight. So um, before we go, I would just like us all to give a round of applause for the uh, politicians who have joined us this evening, David Bennett, Gareth Hughes, the Minister Damien O'Connor and Mark Patterson. Thanks so much.